Welcome back to the CTO Studio. I am your host, Nikolai Walker. In today's show, we're going to speak to Augustine LeBron about how to short Tesla stock, why invest in the stock market in the first place, ETFs, futures, and mutual funds. But first, we started all off by asking him how he lost thousands and thousands of dollars on the stock market. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is easily, it's not even close, like the biggest mistake I've made in my professional career. The So I was about five months into my job as a trader. Uh, and I, so we left San Diego, left San Diego, pregnant wife, the three of us, well, two and a half of us. We moved to New York for three months and then moved to permanently to London to start job there. And so I was maybe two months into my tenure in, in London. Uh, and so I was on the options desk. So there's a, there's a guy that was, it was just me and this other guy. He was basically teaching me everything. Like I didn't know anything about options when I started. And so one of the things that, that I was kind of tasked with doing was hedging our options position. An option is the right, but not the obligation to either purchase or sell stock at a certain price until a certain date. It's kind of like a contract. And so we had these we had these positions on and you know my job was to just kind of hedge. And so one of the big options positions we had at the time was uh options on the DAX index. DAX is the German um uh equities index. The senior guy on my desk, he he went off to do some recruiting thing at Cambridge one day. And so my job was to, you know, not screw things up. And so the only thing that I was allowed to do was to hedge our DAX exposure, right? And so, so basically, we have these systems and whatnot. So, like, if if stock goes up, uh, or if, if the DAX goes up, then I have to kind of sell a little bit of DAX futures, and if it goes down, I have to kind of buy some DAX futures. Basically, that was pretty simple, very very straightforward. And so, I was doing that during the morning, um, and I was kind of like noticing that that my trades are kind of larger than I was used to. But you know, it was kind of a it was 2008, right? There was kind of crazy times all around, and so. Yeah, maybe plausible. And then uh, my counterpart in New York comes in on the video chat because we had video chats at the time at like 1230. And he's like, oh, how are things been going? Have you been hedging the DAX? Yeah, yeah. So how much have you bought and sold? And I told him and and he said, hmm, seems kind of big. And so I said, well, you know, doing this and this and this. And as we're talking, it dawns on me that when when you trade a future, there's a multiplier associated with it. So for example, the S&P 500 futures even though the notional number is 3,000, one contract is actually 25 of those. And so in the case of the DAX, it's five of those, right? So the multiplier is five. So every time you hit like buy one contract, sell one contract, you're actually buying and selling five times as much as kind of the notional dollar value of that. And why, and, and why is that? Historical happenstance. There's all sorts of craziness like that in financial markets. <laughs> Okay, now, can you, just before we get to sort of what happened, futures, just give me like the 101 here briefly. Options is the right to purchase at a certain price. Right, but not the obligation. Whereas the future is the right and the obligation. But not the obligation. So, oh, the right and the obligation. So can you put that for me in terms of apples and oranges? Sure. So if like if you and I, like if the S&P 500 futures are trading at 3000 right now and I buy one and you sell one at the expiration of that future in a month or two months or three months or whatever you and I are going to exchange cash flows at that price if the S&P 500 went up during that time then I won and you lost 
And if it went down, then you won and I lost. So it's just kind of a bilateral contract. And and is this just is this just a form of gambling or, or what? No, it's like incredibly economically valuable to be able to very simply exchange risk in this way. Like instead of actually going off and buying 500 stocks every time you sort of want to sort of express a belief about the broader market, you could just buy this product, right? Think of it like an ETF, but before ETFs existed and with slightly different uh, mechanics in terms of marginating that kind of thing. Okay, so now an ETF is that fractions of stock, of shares. Now what's an ETF? You can imagine an ETF as a bag that is contained of you know, a bunch of bunch of shares, and then you can trade sort of shares of that bag. Ah, uh, and then what's a mutual fund? A mutual fund is much the same thing, except it doesn't trade day to day. It only sort of, you can only purchase it once a day, purchase or, or redeem it once a day. So it's not really exchange traded. So at what point am I going to say to myself, oh, I want to trade on the futures markets? Uh, you could do it today, but probably for a retail trader, it's probably buy, easier to just sort of buy or sell the ETF like SPY ETF or some other ETF. And so the ETF is, um, instead of me handpicking my collection or portfolio of shares, I am going to buy a share of a handful of shares. Exactly. Right. In, the, in, a, in a very specific proportion. Uh, but it's not the proportion. I don't set the proportion. The, the, okay. So then, now for futures... Can you define for me exchanging risk? So, like, let's say, for example, that um, well, let's just let's just say like a like a pension fund, right? Like, you you put your money in every month into your into your retirement fund, and what that retirement fund tells you what they're going to do with their money is they're just going to go off and buy some some shares, right? And if the thing that you if the vehicle you put it into is an index fund or ETF or whatever, then it's going to buy sort of that proportion of shares. So, who sold it to them? Well, probably somebody like I was, right? A trader, uh, a market maker. And so now I am kind of short all of these shares. So I have this risk, right? Like if stuff goes up, then I lose money. So I want to hedge my risk. And the easiest way to hedge that risk is by buying the future. So now I'm kind of flat. So then somebody sold me that future. Well, you know, it kind of keeps going. But it's kind of the exchanging of risk. That's kind of what, um, what financial markets are all about. And so with futures, you're saying, I believe that the future value of this Apple is going to be $3. Currently, it's $2. So now I'm saying what to the markets? I will buy it. I will buy it for $2. At the ex- no, well, just at expiration of the futures contract, like in a month or something, I believe the future price will be higher than it is now. Now, now. Now, what is how is that different from a limit order? Uh, you can execute futures through a limit order. You can say, like, this is the price I'm willing to, to buy it at. The difference between, um, a, you should think of the difference between a future and a, and, a, and a share of stock as just a future is just a contract between two parties, right? It's like there's nothing physical there. Whereas a share is, at least in principle, a piece of paper that gives you a right to a fraction of a chair, a fraction of, of a computer, you know what I mean? Like it, it gives you the right to a physical thing. So can you, so what were your, what are your thoughts on this war that the shorts are waging on Tesla and how does that work? Because, so first explain what shorting a stock means and then 
Do you have any sort of opinion on? And by the way, what was the book you wrote? Uh, the Laws of Trading. So uh, when you sell a share short, this is kind of the thing that, that, that's hard to wrap your head around. It's like, how can I sell something that I don't own? Well, I mean, it's the same way you would sell anything else you, won't, you don't own. You borrow it from somebody and then you sell it. So that's what you do, right? There are plenty of people that are like, again, pension funds, right? That just own tons and tons and tons, like trillions of dollars of stock, right? And so they offer their shares to be borrowed. They make a little bit of money on the side from doing that. And so I say, hey, T. Rowe Price, I want to borrow your shares so that I go off and sell them. So somebody buys them from me and I have sold them without actually owning them. And so obviously if the, if the price goes down, then I buy back this, the shares that I sold, I return them to T. Rowe Price, and I either made or lost some money. So isn't that just a Ponzi scheme? No, very much the opposite. Without short selling, I think you would have no natural incentive to find the right price. Like the Ponzi is, is from the... The Ponzi is, the Ponzi is without that commitment at the end, right? Right. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Like you always need to return the shares you borrowed. So I borrow shares. So I take Tesla stock and I'm like, they're going to tank. Okay. So I go and borrow 100 shares from some broker or something. No, no, no. You, no, no, no. you borrow, you just borrow it. Right, like there's no dollar value at which you borrow it. It's just like, hey, let me borrow these shares and I will pay you, I don't know, some some percentage of the value of these shares today. Right? Like so like literally twenty basis points, like point two percent or something. I will pay you point two percent to borrow these shares. So that's it. Like I have now borrowed these shares from you. It's like kind of just like paying interest on something that you've borrowed. Like Okay, so 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 then I sit on that, or is, is there a is there a term on that? No, there's no term on it. You just until you return the borrow, you have borrowed them, and so now you have these shares that you've borrowed, and so now you go off and you sell them on the exchange. Now this is like this is turned into an atomic process when you actually do this on your brokerage account, but in principle, that's actually what you're doing. And do I sell them? When, do I sell them when they've hit fifty dollars? So let's say it goes down to 50 bucks. So you sold them at 50. So I borrowed, let's say I borrowed them on January 1st and they were valued at 100, but you're right, you just pay the 0.2%, whatever. It goes down to $50 in June. Now I'm thinking, what am I thinking? So you borrowed and sold them at 100. You borrowed and sold them at 100, right? So like you sold your shares at 100, right? Right. And so now sometime later it goes to 50 and you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy those hundred shares back. Right. So you sold those shares for a hundred. So somebody gave you a thousand dollars for, sorry, $10,000, a hundred shares at a hundred. So somebody gave you $10,000 for the shares you sold them. Right. And now you're short some shares. And so then sometime later you buy those shares back, you pay them $5,000 because they're now worth 50. Right. So now you have no position in the stock anymore and you have made $5,000. What did you write your book about? Well, I wrote my book about the mechanics of, of trading, the, what I consider kind of the laws of trading. What do, what do great traders think about when they're doing trade? And so like law number one is know why you're doing a trade before you do it. That's kind of, I would say, the fundamental law of trading, right? Bad answers include because I want to and because I have a feeling. 
<laughs> right? Like these are these are bad answers. So so can you can you can you run me through those laws? Can you can you give me like the top of mind two or three or four? Sure. An edge is something that you know or can do that the marginal participant in the market doesn't or can't. I think that's the number one thing that people don't really understand about trading. It's not a bet on what you think. It's a bet on what you think that everybody else doesn't, right? That's, that's the thing with markets, right? Like prices are pretty darn efficient. And so whenever you, you, you trade, you disagree with the market, with the aggregate wisdom of all of those trillions of dollars. And so you need to, be, you need to have a pretty good story for yourself on why you think you figured something out that the rest of the world has somehow missed. That's what trading is. But the point is, for every trade that happens, there's a seller and a buyer, right? Like, like whatever price it's trading at is where half the people kind of disagree with half the people, right? Is there any, is the, is there any reason why we should trade as casual CTO types who earn a living and we want to sort of invest our money on, in the stock market? If you If you derive enjoyment from it, if you derive sort of entertainment value from it, it is significantly cheaper than sports betting. But I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like, you don't have an edge, I'm sorry to say. Like, there's very little that you understand that that the army of people who are paid hundreds of thousand dollars a year and get massive bonuses to think about this every single day, all day, with incredible technology behind them, haven't figured out. I know, because I was one of those guys. <laughs> and so, what is your thought? Do you do any crypto trading? I do not do any crypto trading. Do you know anything about that or do you have any strong thoughts about that? I think I don't see the economic value of crypto. I see economic value as a store of value for people in countries that have draconian financial regulations. Like I think it's great for rich Chinese people to take money out of China. But I don't know, man. As a medium of exchange, I don't see it. Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio. Shout out to Etienne de Bruin for interviewing Augustine Lebron, who's the co-founder of Iceland Research, which helps CTOs build their tech organizations. Mr. Lebron is also the author of The Laws of Trading, A Trader's Guide to Better Decision Making for Everyone. And I'll tell you something, I'm going to pick that book up because I feel like I did some calisthenics for my brain today. Uh, we want to thank seven CTOs. Please go check them out. We want to thank IcelandResearch.com. Please go check them out. And for a rousing discussion, please join us over at CTOStudio.fm for more discussions. As always, we'll see you next time.